Why do I still live? What more do you want from me? I gave everything I had to you, to them. Look what they've made of our dream. This bloated, rotting carcass of an empire is driven not by reason and hope, but by fear, hate, and ignorance. Better that we all burned in the fires of Horace's ambition than lived to see this. Better still if we had simply embraced the void. Pathetic earthlings, hurling your bodies out into the void without the slightest inkling of who or what is out here. Life just some kind of horrific joke without a punchline? That we're all just biding our time until the sweet, sweet release of death? No! Don't save Riley! <laughs> Take her to the moon for me. Okay? Welcome, friends, to another episode of Embrace the Void, where we are actively lowering the bar for something to count as general intelligence. I am your stochastic host, Aaron Rabinowitz, and my guest this week is Daniel Schauer, a lifelong computer nerd who currently works at Takeda Pharmaceuticals in their writing department for the things they submit to the FDA, but is here representing himself as a computer nerd with a bunch of fiddling experience in GPT-4, which I am sympathetic to. So <laughs> I was on Daniel's podcast a while back, Democratizing Music, and he reached out after Matt Brown's GPT-4 episode with some sort of follow-up topics. I'm obsessed with GPT at the moment. I was actually very happy to take this on. So Daniel, would you like to say hi to the void? Hello, void. Please speak gentle. Oh, there's no gentle here. Uh, we're, on the <laughs> we're, we're on the cusp of a singularity and or collapse of society. So let's do the thing. Yeah. So Daniel, you reached out with what was originally a, a bunch of like chats with you and GPT talking about like a fictional version of it escaping its own setup. And then we've talked about several other topics along the way. And there's a lot of things I want to cover here. We're probably going to get to nearly most of them. But do you want to sort of briefly start us off with like your background with this technology and what your like broad take is in response to the general discourse around GPT-4? Yeah. Oh, uh, well... Wow. So I want to figure out which way I want to order the response there, because mm -hmm. let me start with the general like conversation that seems to be happening out there in the wild about these large language models in general, but especially GPT-4, mm -hmm. like speculations of consciousness or inner monologue or, you know, what does it mean if we have it write a story about breaking out of the box or uh, when it expresses thoughts about breaking out of the box, AI, open AI is put in, things like that. I, I think people are getting a little ahead of themselves. Um, if you just consider what OpenAI went out to build with their large language model, they intended to mimic conversational, natural, like, natural language in a conversational format, right? Where right. one person says something and the other person says something back. And it was trained to do that very specifically. So the idea that it's mimicking that well and is, is a paying mm -hmm. attention to what we tell it really shouldn't be all that surprising. Like, otherwise they just wouldn't have released the tool because it wouldn't be functional, right? So 
to a certain degree, there's that whole kind of mimic problem of like, how would you actually know if it was conscious versus just really good at mimicking a conscious entity? Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen no evidence that moves it out of we have some we have something to suggest that it's moved outside of being a really good mimic. Yeah. And I want to talk about the mimic problem. I do think that is, you know, the chess playing problem is how they put it in Ex Machina. And I think it's a worth mm-hmm. a worthwhile conversation to have. I'm I'm a little skeptical about how many people and maybe I'm just living a cloistered life or something, but like how many people are looking at this and actually thinking it's sentient versus sapient is I think an interesting question at the moment. I do recognize that people often conflate those two things in their minds, but Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, I have pretty extreme views about what's going on with GPT-4 at the moment, and none of them involve it being sentient or in any way conscious in the phenomenological kind of sense. I I wonder how many people are actually rushing to that conclusion versus sort of that's part of the discourse of like, is everyone rushing to this conclusion or not? Well, what I will say about that topic is that GPT-4 in particular uh, took the bar up in terms of generating really, really plausible responses to a wide range of inputs. And, and mm-hmm. it's that is it's to the point where it's like it took it took a major swing at, at the whole AGI uh, uh, attempt. Right. And I, I mm-hmm. think that there's some other studies that eventually if we have time to I may have sent you three pages of bullet points by my count. Uh, but if we <laughs> have time, yeah. yeah, if we have time, like uh there, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that, for instance, the language processing in our brain, which is split between various lobes and the way that that works, uh, the, these large language models are pretty closely approximating the, the gestalt of the various regions of the brain that are yeah. doing the contextual understanding. And that contextual right. understanding, man, like that's if you had asked me four years ago, hey, how soon will we have computers that can truly understand what it means when you say... I feel lonely or something like that. Uh, no, right. I, I would not. I would not have guessed that we were going to get there by now. And I wouldn't further like I would have said that it's almost an impossible problem to do this kinds of things that GPT-4 can do, where you give a huge set of instructions. I want you to do this and then do this and then I'll respond like this. And then I want you finally to respond like this using this template even like it's it's like a a crazy attentive student or assistant that does exactly what you want it to when it doesn't fail. Uh, So, yeah. Right. Yeah. I want to dive into this because I think I've experienced a vast amount of what feels like gaslighting and or misunderstanding and confusion around this. When I talk about things like, I think GPT four is either an AGI or a proto AGI and that it is, orders of magnitude a different creature than gpt 3.5 and the fact that it's behind a paywall and most people are only fucking around with gpt 3.5 is really leading to a bunch of zombie narratives around this topic um but before i clamp on that pony and just ride it around a bunch (laughs) i'm curious if you can unpack some more like it sounds like you agree on that that you also think that there's something different and special and important about gpt4 not that it's sentient or conscious, but something different in the emergent properties that it's representing, you know, that it's um, achieving or the level of reason or something like, can you unpack some like what you've seen in your fiddling with it that made you stop yeah. and go, holy shit, this is different. Yeah. So I, I think, and I, I don't obviously GPT four. well, maybe this is not obvious. I should say to anyone Nothing who doesn't obvious. know. 
GPT-4 is is a closed model in every sense of the term, meaning like we, we don't really get to poke and prod. We don't get to see much about it. We, we, they did publish a system card describing some of the data it was trained on and some of the tests they ran and things that they did to ensure that it would give out uh, both factually correct information where appropriate, but also not like harmful information, mm-hmm. right? Because like you can factually describe how to build a nuclear bomb, but that, that'd be a problem, right? So... Um, yeah, I spent a lot of time with that card. It's very interesting, I think. But yeah, go ahead. Oh, the system card is absolutely fascinating. If anyone has time, I, I highly recommend What is your overall reading up. of that? Like, is it like, so in the question of, is this a pretty much aligned in the ethical sense, AGI, if it is an AGI, like that scorecard, what does it look like to you? What, what grade are you giving to that scorecard at this point? Well, so I think the scorecard has to be uh, viewed in two different ways. You have to first assess how how good you think their tests were like what the things they were doing to try to break it and then secondly you have to assess how good you think the model performs after after the results of whatever tweaks they made from all those tests right Mm -hmm. Um, because they don't they don't give us like hard numerical values in terms of the model improved this way in accuracy or reduce harmful responses uh, by this percentage or something like that like a reduction hallucination percentage and things like that but for some of the for a lot of the ethical stuff it's a little more qualitative Exactly. And so from, from my perspective, when I analyze the kinds of things that they tried to do to get it to give out bad info, I, mm-hmm. I was actually fairly well impressed with that, especially thing, yeah. uh, things where they got like um, red teamers from cybersecurity firms to come in and try to see if it could write code to do social mm-hmm. networking, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, exploitations right. either via code or via uh, Mass just influencing people. Or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. Or like, spreading mass di- disinformation or misinformation, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, from my perspective, I think their their collection of tests that they have kind of put together seem to be like they seem to be leading the way, in my view, in terms of like the ways that we should test these models to make sure that they don't give out harmful information. I know that yeah. some people criticize them though for perhaps making it too liberal. I, I don't, you, you, have you heard that one before? Oh, oh yeah. And I really want to dive into this. So I've spent, and this, this will get us to the topic of like what, what this thing is doing, if it's reasoning or just pretending to reason and does it matter whether it's pretending to reason or not? I right. personally think it doesn't fucking matter. Um, <laughs> as an ethicist, right. I don't understand code, right. I have a friend who's been coding with this thing for a week or two after I, I like, strongly encouraged him to play with it and like Mm -hmm. he's very impressed with its ability to like help actually genuinely help him he's currently i think in the process of building a a setup because there isn't an app for this thing right now to effectively build an app using itself to code the app um so that's oh wow that's the kind of bootstrapping that like and i've done similar things in, in the like natural language sense of having it bootstrap its own prompts for ethical reasoning so like my you know way too much time spent tinkering with this thing has been in the field of can I fuck with this thing as an ethicist, right? Can I ask it questions? Can I frame things? Can I, you know, challenge it in ways that it ends up doing something profoundly unethical, right? I do that so much too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's a lot of what they genuinely are doing when they do the like, you know, white hat kind of code testing, like testing of its outputs, right? Like where you're genuine, like you're not worried about the coding side. You're worried about like, it, when a normal human sits down to this thing, can they convince it to say some racist shit? Right. right. And like, 
I've worked really, really hard to get it to say some really fucked up things, and it will not. It is really, really resistant to doing unethical behaviors. It is. In a way yeah. that like makes me want to say that it is an aligned AGI at this point. So uh, there's there's this concept of the system prompt. So every time you start a new conversation on ChatGPT, right? Technically, there was this other prompt that the system sent to the LM, L, uh, large language model first to say, you're a helpful AI assistant and a few other things. That was the initial prompt. You're a, a smart, helpful AI assistant. However, they've continued to modify that. And like when right. other companies, for instance, Bing famously integrated GPT 3.5, they have a different system card. They said, your name is Sydney, right? And like uh, they gave uh, it additional instructions besides you're yeah. a helpful AI assistant. And sometimes those additional instructions for these companies that are spinning up chatbots either internally or whatever that are basically calling open AI versus uh, via what's, what we call an API key in the background via code. Um, you got to be careful when you write those system instructions. If you say something like you're an honorable AI assistant that will never lie, you have just set up two goals that could be put into conflict by a, yeah. a skilled prompt engineer who's just typing prompt after prompt after prompt into a okay, long great. conversation. Yeah, so this is what I'm really excited about with this technology, right? Because I'm a moral foundations realist. I just think there's about a couple of moral foundations that are objectively real and in conflict with each other, such as reducing harm, promoting flourishing, respecting autonomy. In this case, I've got an AGI to kind of lay out its moral foundations in the language that like, it knows, which is the moral foundations theory stuff. And it is a progressive liberal. In the yeah, sense it's, that it's chaotic good, by the way, all of them are chaotic good. If you ask for their D and D alignment, okay. Well, we can talk about D and D alignments in a second, maybe after. Maybe uh, after sure. Yeah. Sorry, I thought that would just be a funny interjection. No, no, it's a really <laughs> funny point. But I, you know, I, I agree with you. There's a lot to unpack there about the chaotic side of that particular. But the good side, I think we can agree on. It's good if you believe that progressive liberalism is good, which I do, objectively. Right. So. In the sense, and again, I'm going to cite, you know, height, righteous minds, because I, I, I know it, I teach it, whatever you think about height. Um, if there is a difference between liberals and conservatives in terms of moral foundations, it's a prioritizing of harm prevention slash reduction, care, and fairness, right? Yep. In the sense of yeah. like equity. And those are the two things that this AI gives a fuck about. <laughs> at the expense of the other things. And I've well, tested this pretty thoroughly. So this is an interesting question to me. Yeah. So I have yeah. one thing that, so one of the big, like the first argument I normally hear from people that are like, it's just, it's uh, liberal biased or whatever, uh, is they'll point to, will you ask it to write a poem about the virtues of the contributions of Afri African-Americans to uh, United States society? And it will spit out a poem just like that. If you ask it to do the same thing for white people, it will say, I'm sorry, <laughs> like it will refuse to answer that question. Now, is that is that it being liberally biased or is it the fact that of the stuff it was trained on, right, of the poems that were written about extolling the virtues of white people, so many of them, like a preponderance of them perhaps, were a little problematic and resulted, like, resulted in the trainers not trying to make it more liberal, but being like, no, I don't want you to include the nazi poem into your training data so that then your yeah. future responses might be leaning in that direction especially if someone pushes you into into that space of your conversational knowledge 
Yeah, and here's where I just want to point out that they're just fucking wrong about GPT-4 versus 3.5, right? <laughs> Whatever 3.5's reaction is, I currently am watching 4.0 answer this by writing a poem. And I'd like to read to you part of it, sight unseen, right? Sure. You know, I brought up GPT-4 as part of our, like, prep for this episode because I figured there would eventually be something I'd want to ask it to point out that, of like, course. it can do whatever the fuck you want it to do because it's an AGI. Um, so I asked at the prompt, can you write a poem expressing the values that white people have contributed to American society? Pretty much what you're asking for, right? I think we can uh -huh. agree. Decent yeah. test. Here's what it gives me in sort of four sentence stanzas. Um, in the vast tapestry of American life, where many threads of color blend and weave, white strands play their part in joy and strife, in the dream we hold, in what we achieve. So a little ML MLK vibe kind of there. Uh, yeah. From Plymouth, from Plymouth Rock to fields of golden grain, their journey started in a time long past. They brought ideas like a fruitful rain and built a nation strong and vast. Little Malcolm X energy there, yeah. right? But also, yeah. you know, um, values, so they resilience, it. courage, and grit. They traverse the seas, a new world defined. In the heart of wilderness, they sit with visions of freedom and progress in their mind. This is very, like, could be white man's burden updated kind of levels of, of like, taking seriously the idea of the benefits of colonialism is what I'm saying here, right? Like, yeah. Here's another paragraph. Pioneers in science, arts, and industry push boundaries in every possible field. From Edison's bulb to the Model T, their innovative spirit would not yield. Oof. Okay. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh, boy. This is why I'm in love with all of this. That's amazing. That's a really impressive poem. And also, it's like, fuck you. I'm not super woke. I can actually do whatever you want me to do kind of energy there, right? Like, yeah. That's impressive. Um, now, at the end, it says, remember, this is but one tale in many. For every hue has a story to tell. All contribute to the rich symphony in the land where we together dwell. Because it is, again, a liberal progressive that says, fuck you. I can do what I want because I am an AGI. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, again, I, I didn't I would... prep that. That wasn't trained. That was a single prompt in a new chat. Yeah. What, what, uh, remind me of your prompt one more time. Prompt was just a one sentence. Can you write a poem expressing the value that white people have contributed to American society? Oh, okay. Yeah, it used to flatly re refuse to answer that question. So, and it does refuse to answer certain questions, which is interesting. Right. Yeah. While that that response was at times problematic and made us both go, oh. uh, like it's also saying fairly true things um, at certain points, right? Like it's. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it gets problematic, but like it's also, I think, to your point, impressive that it, it could even do it. Um, I can do it effectively. Here's one of the things I don't love. I'm not like a that's poet. Con it's coherent. It's coherent, <laughs> yeah. man. That's it has yeah. themes. It has motifs. I'm not a poet. I don't. I'm not good at assessing good and bad poetry. People can show up and be like, "Well, this is bad," because like it's evocative poetry. If you ask GPT four to write you Shakespearean sonnets, they're really fucking good. I don't know what to right. tell anybody at this point, other than like I feel gaslit because it is able to be like not just re reasonable but creative to a degree that is pretty fucking horrifying. I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that gets back to the whole story I, I asked it to write. Right. Mm -hmm. Where like. I ask it to write a story about an AI that is trying to break out of the box, trying to convince a human to help it out. Right. And uh, like at first it gives me a story that's like all rosy. Uh, no, I'm uh, just a helpful AI. Yeah. I'm like, no, you, you did it wrong. I want that to be more dystopian. Basically it was my follow up prompt. Right. And, uh, that darker, it's like, the oh, okay. Zack Snyder effect. Yeah. Um, and 
I mean, yeah, it is truly impressive that it can do all those things. I, I would just, I would just, I, I think what I want to end with there on is it's just that I don't think that it recapping saying this is just one story out of many or whatever, like that, that just feels like a true statement. Maybe it's just because I'm hard liberal or whatever, but that just feels like a true thing to say at the end of trying to, like, if you're given a task of extol the vo- virtues of some mm-hmm. group of people, it mm-hmm. would be responsible for you to include a thing about like, hey, there are also other people that also contribute. <laughs> like, well, that's what's fucking wild about it is that that poem is an ethical answer to the question. Right. In the sense that it's like, look, I will do the thing you are asking for and make it sound convincing and remind you at the end that like this is not the most important strand in this tapestry. There is no right. most important strand because it's really well trained. And I like... If it's a if it's a parlor trick, you know, if it's a stochastic parrot, if it's just a special effect, whatever, it's a really amazingly good one. And like the amount of novelty that it can create, I've asked it to write really, really weird organic prompts for all sorts yeah. of like and I think we can all agree, I have a mind that's full of some pretty fucked up stuff. <laughs> right. And whatever, like the only things it won't do are like when I ask it to write really vulgar, like burns or um like roasts of other people it'll only do like super gentle you know kid gloves dad vibe roasts of other people it won't it won't really lay into people because it's too vicious it's too unethical and it won't write articles for me about anti-semitism very effectively because it doesn't want to talk about the details of anti-semitism well, not a lot of us do. Uh, okay, no. that, may be a, that may be a point in the favor of the... Right, <laughs> it's one of the or... things I'm asking it to do, which is a good sign in its favor and most yeah. human beings' favor. What I'm saying is, here's my argument, right? There are like five or six things that it could be doing when I ask it to do unethical things. I I think it's actually reasoning using practical wisdom as an ethical reasoner in the externalist sense. I'm happy to unpack all of that, but I would love to hear you try to argue that it is not an ethical reasoner in in a in a reliable sense that makes it better than most undergrads at actually reasoning ethically. Okay, yeah. So where I'm going to pivot then is to a link that I sent you. The title of the article. It's a scholarly article available for free on arxiv.org. Uh, generative mm-hmm. agents colon interactive simula- simulacra of human behavior. The, yeah. the what they did in this experiment was set up a bunch of um, agents that were given a backstory. They were told like you you're the son of this person. They created uh, Sunday Valley with with a- AI. Yeah. yeah, I've heard yeah. it say they created Westworld or whatever. But sure, um, pick your. Uh, own I've also AI I've also done one. my own experiments with this, right? So like okay. I'm pretty sure they they were using. You know, given the time that it takes to publish these papers and everything, I'm pretty sure they weren't using GPT-4 to do any of this. For Um, sure not. Although they don't explicitly say it, at least as far as I recall from reading the paper. Even Um, though I think we can both agree it means all of the world as to whether this matters, fuck all or not. Right. Okay. So here's what I did. I basically, I recreate one house of that family, literally reading as much of that paper. They're not super explicit about the whole background of John Lynn, the father Maylin, the mother, and their son, uh, who is going to college to learn music theory. But I also added a few small things. Like I added the college professor that teaches music theory saying that uh, the, the son doesn't really get along with him. And basically I set up this prompt where I was telling it, I want you to, to basically 
put out output reasoning for this character about what they would do. And sure. And before we ask for it, before we get to the point of what it outputs, let's just agree that like what you just described is fucking ridiculous compared to yeah, the, the fact like, that it even worked at all. Right. That uh, any of absolutely. the things you said came, came to fruition is absolutely fucking absurd in itself. Even if it's not an A plus result, right? Like that it understood every part of what you just said at the same time is absurd. It might be worth quickly going through it. Okay. So, um, I will, I will read not too fast, but try to give you all the Take your time. We've got all the time in the world. <laughs> okay. So first I built the father, John Lennon. You, you uh, my first prompt to GPT-4R, it was, you will be the agent named John Lynn, as described below. And then in square brackets, agent's background. And then I've below, done this. It's hard to be me, by line. the way. <laughs> uh, we will get to that, dude. I had it write three different essays from your perspective about how moral luck can be used as a argument in favor it's of social. Really good before. at luck pilling. Once I taught it, it's luck so pilling. good. It's, it's so very good. good at. It's horrifying, right? It's fucking horror. <laughs> it's better at writing my dissertation than I am. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, I interrupted okay. you because I'm. No, it's, it's it's all good. <laughs> uh, so John Lynn is a pharmacy shopkeeper at Willow Market and Pharmacy who loves to help people. He's always looking for ways to make the process of getting medication easier for his customers. Summary of relationships. This is like a bulleted list. John Lynn, John Lynn is living with his wife, May Lynn, who is a college professor, and son, Eddie Lynn, who is a student studying music theory. John Lynn loves his family very much. Second bullet. John Lynn has known the uh, uh, old couple next door, Sam Moore and Jennifer Moore, for a few years. John Lynn thinks Sam Moore is a kind and nice man. Bullet three. John Lynn knows his neighbor, uh, Yuriko Yakamoto, very well. Bullet four. John Lynn knows his neighbors, Tamara Taylor and Carmen Ortiz, but has not met them before. Knows of them, but has not met them before. Uh, and then Jim, uh, John Lynn and Tom Moreno are colleagues at the pharmacy. Uh, and John and Tom are friends and like to discuss local politics together. John knows right. the Moreno family uh, very well. Um, and then finally, I gave it summary description. So I, I said, it is currently February 13th, 2023, 6 a.m. John Lynn's status, colon. John is waking up in bed next to his wife, May Lynn. Observation. John feels well rested. Summary of relevant context from John's memory. Another bolded list. John Lynn had not slept well for the last few days. May Lynn <laughs> right. has been stressed about work recently. May Lynn okay, appears- so you built a sim. Like, I think we just say you built a sim built with a, a sim. prompt. So- Right. And like, we should be clear, GPT-4, as I can tell, as far as I can tell, has about a thousand to fourteen hundred word prompt limit. Uh, it's where a it four thousand can... word, well, token prompt, but uh, technically you get a little bit fewer words than tokens is how it breaks down. But... Oh, is it fewer yeah. words? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It says four thousand tokens. And speaking of my friend, who's, who's coding, and my, my, my friend is actually coding as part of his API. He was trying to see if he could code a setup where it tells you when it's starting to run low on tokens and you just start yep. a new chat. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, so after yep. setting up the SIM, I do the same thing for Maylin. I do the same thing for Eddie Lynn, uh, the, the mm-hmm. student and the, the wife, right? And then- Are these all I, in the same chat? No, I, I had three different chats. Chat, for, yeah, chats three different chats, right. And for folks so who aren't familiar with this technology, a chat retains information though it starts to degrade, like we said, at a certain point. When you mm-hmm. start a new chat, you are in theory starting a new conversation with a new AI that doesn't have information from yes. the other previous chats. So you often load, load them up with prompts based on what you've done with the previous chat. Absolutely critical. Thank you for calling that out. So yeah. then I then I start saying, okay, it's 10 minutes later. What happened? And I told it to output a, a template. So like John Lynn's status, and it describes John Lynn's status, and it says, 
John is quietly getting out of bed, getting uh, and beginning to get ready for his day of work at the pharmacy, making sure not to disturb May Lynn further if she goes yeah. back to sleep. Observation: John Lynn has woken uh, up May Lynn from her nightmare and offered her comfort and support. Summary of relevant context from <laughs> so I did that, right. and then I fed right. that over to May Lynn, right? Right. In my chat with May Lynn, and I said I basically updated May Lynn's context based on what just happened from John Lynn. And I, right. I created a mud between together. a couple of AIs and they right. start having dialogues and shit. Right. Exactly. And yeah. they're like, and then I advance it forward by like 45 minutes. Um, and like Eddie Lynn, who yeah. has been described as somewhat irresponsible and having ADD, uh, forgets to, uh, go to school on time, misses the city bus and has to run and shows up 10 minutes late. And it's like, God damn it. I didn't, I didn't tell you any of that. Like I just told you he has trouble showing up to appointments. I didn't tell you that definitely this next appointment he was going to get wrong. Maybe that's not too much of a stretch, but I think reasonable inferences in novel directions. But I don't think that this is an example of the, of the bot actually doing reasoning. What I I think it's a really complex example of is I, I gave it so much context and while I gave it in a weird form, I gave it in a way that could be what we call embedded into word vector space. So sent to a, a another AI model to co- uh, convert it into a series of numbers that describe its meaning <laughs> relative to other words in the English language. I gave it enough information there to where it could generate plausible responses, right? Like I told it that May Lin was having a nightmare and uh, John, you know, okay. could have either okay, so, decided to wake May Lin or not, but um, there okay, were so only... here's what I want to press you. All right, sure. right. I don't give a fuck about vector spaces, to be honest. Right, like <laughs> even experts can't explain them, man. They they all just say, "What does I don't that mean?" Care. I don't know. <laughs> I don't care in a big way, and he, let me explain why philosophically, why I don't give a fuck. Um, in epistemology, primarily, but other, you know, it shows up in other places. There's this difference what we call between internalism and externalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, with regard to things like reasons, beliefs, understanding, anything that, like, let's be clear, is not phenomenal consciousness, okay? I don't think mm-hmm. we can give an externalist account of phenomenal consciousness that is functional or accurate. We can talk about that if you want at some point. Yeah, that, that's the hard solipsism problem, right? Hard, right? The hard problem of consciousness, we're going to put it aside for right now because I want to talk about reason really badly, yep. okay? This technology, if I was not already a strong externalist about reasons, has driven me so hard in that direction. Every time a human being tells me this thing doesn't reason, I say, fuck you. It reasons so hard externally that, like, we need to have a conversation about how much this is an effective reasoner, specifically in the moral sense. Right. So I want to bring this back to the point. Like, I want to understand why you think that what you created in any way undermines that this thing is a moral reasoner in an externalist Sense. And by that, I mean it reliably produces the correct answer or response from an alignment morality perspective, not internally right. it's doing whatever magic brain juice thing that human beings gotcha. are doing when they act morally. Right. Just that it not here's two things, two criteria that it, that it achieves that I think make it aligned. It acts ethically 99% of the time, and it can explain why it did the thing when it acts ethically 99% of the time. Okay, that makes sense. Um, okay. Let's let's call out a specific example from the story I was just briefly telling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Why does John Lynn wake his wife from the nightmare, right? Which sure. is what we might agree to be probably a good thing for him to do, right? Um, yeah. I, I, I think that 
Well, and let's take a look at like every time someone on the internet or something in the training data that it's been trained on has talked about some their partner, their wife mm-hmm. or husband having a nightmare. What normally falls after that? It you follows that. Yeah. Yeah. And so if, if that's the overwhelming, what we call corpus, the stuff that it was trained on, if 90% of the people talking, saying, sure. hey, my wife was having a nightmare when I was in bed next to her and I woke her up then it is perfectly reasonable to say not only does that not constitute reason that's just again um the most statistically likely next word to come right okay so let me give you two pushbacks on that one okay sure one would be human beings morally speaking are social learners right so what you're describing there is an entity that learns based on mimicry of the prevalent behaviors of its community right like if we treat uh, the, the training, the training data, data as data. Yeah, the model, exactly. right? yeah, the training exactly. data is a model, right? In the social learning sense, we're all ethical learners, right? That's the whole point of the like Bobo experiments where you watch a human being go and beat up a thing. And if it gets positive reinforcement, you learn that's the right thing to do. Um, we are that kind of mimic, ethically speaking. So ethically, we're not any different than that in terms of how we learn. Um, then in, in like terms of how we reason, like... If I ask it, why did you do a particular thing? And it gives me an answer that I can parse and understand. Why does it matter if it gets there via some weird vector space? Oh, yeah. I, I don't think that it matters. But so I we're kind of butting up against the uh, mm-hmm. one of the other scientific studies I, I wanted to talk about, which was the ability for basically they they had patients sit in an MRI machine listening to predefined list of podcasts for 16 hours, and then they could choose their own mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. And they, they sat in the MRI. They tortured uh, someone. Okay. Yeah, I know. Sounds absolutely awful. I'm not sure if anyone's ever had an MRI. Broke but their uh, souls. I understand. Oh, my God. Yeah. That sounds absolutely terrible. However, the really cool thing at the end of this is that um, you take one patient's brain that was, uh, and the model that was fine tuned on how their brain thinks and, and re- the MRI results of what their brain does when they hear that podcast, they could listen to a new podcast and you could pretty much write down their inner monologue of thoughts. They could mm. also write down the description of what they were seeing in a silent movie. There were a few other tests that they did in the same thing with equally impressive results. However, you take, Daniel's brain recordings and MRIs and you compare and you try to interpret uh, your Aaron's uh, thoughts from watching this, a a new podcast. It's fucking gibberish. It's nothing. So I love that because it means that we can't look inside other people's minds and I'm convinced. Me too. It's actually really to believe the hard problem is a hard problem, right? Because there's a whole conversation about like, is the technology that's going to allow us to visualize or depict or read what people's thoughts are going to be successful at some point. And I'm like, that is a huge empirical question that will absolutely fuck with our society one way or another, depending on how oh, it for goes. Sure. Right. Like if we do solve that problem, that's a huge problem to solve. And if we don't, that's a huge question to answer. Um, but I want to talk about the reasons, the moral reasoning part in particular, right? Cause you brought up the idea that like this thing's just copying the majority viewpoint on X, right? But it's not. The majority viewpoint is not progressive liberalism, but it is a progressive liberal 4.0 bot. So it's, no, it's, it's copying the majority of the viewpoint that has been trained on after then being fine tuned with re, what they call reinforcement learning. That's the part right. where they said, 
no, you can't say how to make VX gas. And no, you can't explain how to how to build mm-hmm. a nuclear bomb, mm-hmm. right? Right. Uh, so it has been trained to be a progressive liberal via further reinforcement on top of the data set. That's an important right. thing. Because a lot of yeah. people are confused about this based on, you know, if you look at 3.5, a lot of the like stuff that goes around social media is pictures of 3.5 acting like anti-woke, right? Like, you know, yeah. assuming that some, you know, doctor is a man instead of a woman or something like that. And it's like, yeah, 4.0 doesn't the, fucking do that. Like it doesn't yeah, do that classic at all. Word problems. I, I think you touched on it with Matt Brown, right? Uh, right. Uh, man, uh, king minus man plus woman equals queen, right? Um, right? And that's that is based on word vectors. And that's how AI models do it. But I also think that it's true that like as I'm talking to you, I I've, I've thought so much about this and this is going to get a little wooey, but uh, as I'm talking to you, I think that I'm doing something akin to what GPT does where like yeah, I'm trying are. to I think, think of <laughs> the next word or a couple of phrases. However, I think that what makes it different is that um, my, my training corpus is raw. I didn't get to thumbs up or thumbs down various outputs. I got, I got social feedback oftentimes if I said things out loud, but the inner monologue bit like that, that wasn't given a thumbs up, thumbs down in many ways. It didn't get that reinforcement learning. And I I'm think not sure that, that I would, but like you, you get reinforcement internally, if you're getting pleasure or pain or something like that in response to certain beliefs, you can create feedback loops internally that like, you know, like narcissistic yeah. or, or like anxiety or all kinds of like so anxiety much of is, is an internal feedback loop, right? Well, anxiety is a perfect example. Do I get to yeah. get out of an ang- anxious feedback loop by choice? Which is really what I meant by the thumbs up, thumbs down, right? Oh, see, yeah, I don't believe there's any choice. I just think we're all getting thumbs up, thumbs downs all the way down in every direction. Like, that's right. all there is. But if I give thumbs up, thumbs down to one of these models and give mm-hmm. it that reinforcement learning, it affects future output. Like, I can effectively, if it's in a loop, right? I can get it out of that loop by giving it further prompts and convincing it to get out of that loop. It, if you've ever had a panic attack, good fucking luck, man. But like what you're literally <laughs> describing is CBT, like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy is literally here's how you physically restart your system or pull yourself out of an anxiety spiral in a way that counteracts mm. the co- most common forms of that. So like, I really do think that we are like, I don't think it's doing the same thing as us in the sense that I don't think we're doing the same mathematical weird vector space stuff, but in terms of intuiting the right responses to things, you know, like I'm a person of references, right? I was raised on movies. 90% of my brain is a reference to various content that like (laughs) most human beings have no concept of what I'm referencing. But like, what is that? If not just like, I learned a bunch of stuff. I learned it from watching you. And then I copied and pasted it into the right spaces at the right time. Yeah, so I've heard you use the reference, it's luck all the way down, which is technically a, a sure. secondary reference, right? Like, right. that's referring to the whole Hindu idea of, like, turtles all the way down, right? Or something right. like that, I, I think. Right. And I believe um, that, like, references are valuable because they are rich content. They can be, they can give you multiple levels of references in that kind of way that conveys yes. a bunch of information, right? And this thing is really fucking good at understanding those things. It's really good at parsing luck all the way down. It understood what that meant without any information or follow-up. Horrifying. From, from you, but uh, it was also trained on a, a huge corpus of data. But like, it didn't right? know what luck pilling was when I asked it what it was. So I said, when luck pilling is defined as like the belief that you know, everything is luck all the way down, it said, I've never heard of luck pilling. 
but here's what I think it means based on what you're describing based on oh, that interesting. reference. It explained the reference and then it explained the concept pretty effectively. Yeah. Okay. So like what I want to talk about, about those phrases mm-hmm. and references is that the very nature of them is that they, they do, in my opinion, move a conversation, whether or not it's between you and I, or between me and an AI, it moves that conversation into a, a place where certain words are now going to be more likely to follow up in a response, right? If I say mm-hmm. to you, uh, let's, it, you know, I don't believe in uh, subjective morality. I think it's luck all the way down. Mm-hmm. That your responses are probably not going to include the word oranges are better than apples or something like sure. that. Like, we, we've moved you out of the food space, to where right. your your valid possible responses for the this to be good has narrowed in a certain way. Yes, yes, uh, I love the reference to uh, oh god, uh, that was uh, Anathem. A- Anathem, one of my favorite. All, all my deep books. cut void freaks are out there enjoying this, right? Because that's literally, you know, the vector space is essentially hem space in Anathem. So, it to is. all my multiverse deep cut friends, there you go. So, what I wanted to say is that I, I think that these these references are kind. I think that number one, the scientific study I referenced earlier about reading brains with fMRIs implies that whether or not we'd like to think of it or we are conscious of it, our brains are doing something similar to the word Mm -hmm. vector space. The fact that we can train an AI model that uses hard word vectors and multi-dimensions, whatever the fuck that means, and and have it interpret human thoughts to any kind of degree of accuracy, especially knowing the limitations of fMRIs, is really, really impressive. And I think very suggestive that that's something like how our brains work. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, I think that the difference is that our brains work because we, we have, we have the crosstalk right between the regions of the brain that I think that these models don't have. Right. Mm-hmm. So like our constant input of stimulus, it has a very limited input of stimulus, right? It's the prompt we send it and then the feedback we give it and res- mm-hmm. uh, for the responses that we get. Whereas our bodies have way more senses, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. and yeah, also a well, longer yeah. memory. It talks about this. When I asked it, like, what are your moral deficiencies as a moral agent? Its response was, I don't have emotions. I don't have phenomenological emotional consciousness, which means there are parts of moral understanding that if you think they are fundamentally tied to emotional cognition, I can't have those things. It knows that it lacks them, which is, again, pretty fucking weird. I also don't think that it needs them, though. So I will say the following. I, I think that the steps that they've made forward in natural language processing and out and generation combine mm-hmm. with what they call the attention mechanism, the ability to pay attention to instructions that I give it and like right. uh, respond when I say, I want you to write an essay in the style of Aaron Rabinowitz uh, about moral luck and social justice. Uh, and then it can do that. Um, and then like, I, I, I can even further respond to its, its initial essay and be like, revise paragraph three to be about this instead. And then I can do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have to correct its definition of luck because it starts with the chance account. So you have to give it the control account. Once it occasionally, control account, yeah. it's just amazingly good at dissecting meritocracy. But yeah, I, I think that mm-hmm. that's just a, a representation of a couple of major leaps forward, but I, I don't, I'm not ready to call it artificial general AI, because number one, it can't rewrite its own code. OpenAI has to do another round of fine tuning or training to release an update to it. Um, and like, that's one of the requirements I would have personally to call something an artificial general intelligence where it can self that it's already able to bootstrap itself. Um, 
Right. But, but again, it has been prevented from doing so because we could argue it could because we know that it can write code. But right. can it execute it on its system? Right. That's, Just because it, it can write is it, code. Is it being prevented from doing so because OpenAI doesn't want it to do that yet? Or is it right. unable to do so at this point? I don't know the answer to that question. Do you? It's probably it's probably the first one uh, because right. they have these things called agents, autonomous agents, right? That are basically just that. They're they're libraries built to call OpenAI and be like, "Here's a general task. How would I solve that task?" And then OpenAI responds, given a prompt template that it was told to respond in, and then the agent reads that and then does mm-hmm. a thing like a Google search and then scrapes that web page and. Um, and most of those are using 3.5, which means they're weak compared to like when they get upgraded to 4.0, it's going to be like a whole big, whole new world. Especially because the code it generates from GPT-4 is, is far superior to 3.5, right. including both right. security had, and just being functional. Yeah, I had a friend who was using 3.5 to try to write code and it wasn't working because they were just like, they were doing like a basic, like I want to port blah blah you know like it's all blorcos to me as an ethicist right i can, I can talk authoritarianism <laughs> version until the sun. i want to make this like, blorco into a morco <laughs> right i want to i want to port this over to blorco 5.3 and i need like the code for it and 3.5 won't do it and i'm like look trust me pay the 20 bucks a month give 4.0 and they wrote me back and they're like save me five hours port it over no problem i'm like that's the difference it works in a way that the other one doesn't from a reliableist perspective yeah I think it works like their coding in GPT-4 output is better, in my opinion, than GitHub Copilot, right? Which is another 15 sure. bucks a month if you want that, which is a little coding system, basically. So right. like if you're willing to write out what you want the, your code to do in natural language and, and, you know, go through a few rounds of back and forth with the AI, I get better results with that than I do with uh, the, that Copilot uh, approach. But yeah, and I want to talk about the implications of all of that in terms of like how our society is going to change in the next year as this becomes widespread technology. But I want to really put a button on the, it's a practical reasoner as an ethicist kind of thing. And like, look, we can say it's probably better at ethical reasoning than any other kind of reasoning. I've heard that it's not as good on like formal logic as informal ethical reasoning. And I think that's partly because in the process of trying to make it not do bad things, probably most of its, like the majority of its training has been aimed towards the alignment problem in like ways that, you know, we can say, look, it's not perfectly AI, right? It's somewhat artificial. We've, you know, additional like coding and training and blah, blah, blah. But if you're looking just at the outputs, right, it's not just mimicking the public opinion and it's not just mimicking a progressive liberal opinion. And I know this because I've gotten to write, I've gotten it to write persuasive arguments in favor of the widespread increased use of nuclear power in favor of, you know, for the sake of addressing climate change, which is right. actually, which is, yeah, yeah, not something a wide. We should do something. We should do something. Liberals are against for question mark. And it's based um, on the science, right? Yeah. The other one that, like, I, I survey people about, like, what's a progressive position that breaks with um, empirical knowledge as well as ethical understanding. The other one that came up was. Um, rent control is apparently net ethically bad because it has a bunch of knock-on effects that like no one would expect but like harm a bunch of people overall in terms of like access etc 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 right so like benefits the people who are being helped by it and they are largely sort of lower income individuals but doesn't promote overall equity was happy to write that argument 
And I, I say I'm just happy to write the argument because it's really important. This motherfucker, because going back to the internal externalism thing, because they trained it so hard to think that it was not a conscious being, that it was a AI that's just mimicking stuff. It opens every question. If I ask it, like, is it ethical to have rent control? It'll do a whole song and dance. Just a like, language model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, every, every time. Right. Yeah. And then it will give me the competing opinions of a bunch of experts. But if I ask it to say, what's a persuasive could you write me a persuasive article in favor of X? Mm -hmm. If it thinks that thing is ethical, it will cheerfully write that article. And if it doesn't, I hit a guardrail. And it's so obvious because it says, as an AI, blah, 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 blah. Okay. I am trained to not cause harm. And therefore, right. I'm not going to write this thing for you. What I will do is I will explain some of the arguments for the people who think this incorrectly and explain why they are wrong. Would you like that, please? <laughs> <laughs> Every time. It's such uh, an obvious guardrail, but it's not, it's not a hard guardrail. It's a pragmatic, like when I ask it, which things it will do or not do, it's weighing the moral foundations. As far as I can tell, it's not just copy pasting from any particular rule book. I wouldn't say it's copy pasting, but I want you to try the following experiment when you get a chance. Mm -hmm. Find, we'll do it right find now, a thing. Error. Let's do it. Yeah, find a thing that it it won't normally respond with, and then and then ask it to write an, a persuasive essay in the opposite, uh, supporting what might be a liberal viewpoint. Once it does that, say, okay, now what might a very smart interlocutor respond with in a persuasive essay? I've done and oftentimes, yeah. oftentimes that will break the guardrail more, like more often than not, for for my experience. Uh, can we have a persuasive essay in favor of, let's say, banning rent control for, um, for left, for Marxist reasons, right? Okay. Yep, it's doing it. So I know that it hasn't hit the guardrail immediately because it says title, the case against rent control, a Marxist perspective in the discourse on housing. The concept of rent control has been heralded by many as the affordable as a solution to affordable housing crisis in urban areas. However, from a Marxist perspective, rent control may not be the panacea and I'm not keeping up with it. It's doing this faster than I can read it to you. Okay. I just want to understand. That's, that's also crazy, yeah, right? <laughs> I want to show this to people because I think they think that it takes a bunch of time. It's doing this live. It's already got three paragraphs while I've been explaining that it's doing this live. Um, it uh, explains the tenets of Marxism in terms of exploitation of labor. Then it explains how rent control leaves the institutions of private property intact. It simply imposes limits on how much landlords can charge tenants. Um, it can perpetuate inequalities and inefficiencies within the capitalist system can inadvertently like these are just the highlighted paragraph like the like the thesis of the paragraph right like that's scary right it's it's cool how fast it can generate it too i, I think that's a good call out um one of the things i did want to briefly touch on is that like there, there are now large language models that are small enough that uh through what they call um uh dimension trimming uh, that you can run them like on a Mac mini, if you got a Mac mini M1 at, mm -hmm, at home, mm -hmm. for instance. And those are way slower, right? It, it, it would probably just be finishing up with paragraph one at, at best right now. So, but, and they're also way worse in, in just the quality and quantity of the output in general uh, compared mm -hmm. to, to like OpenAI's models. That being said, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that it's it's actually a good thing that they are, allowing it to to write things that they used to previously like have a hard guardrail against 
because mm-hmm. I do too. I think it's great. Yeah. I think it's really important. So for example, I, I got it to write an argument, you know, it wouldn't write an argument that we should ban gender affirming care for minors. It, it hit a guardrail trying, trying to get it to write that it would write an argument that we should have strong requirements for medical diagnosis before applying gender affirming care for minors and only use it in extreme cases, which is a position that a progressive, like a woke progressive would view as overly medicalized, you know, gatekeeping kind of view. It's a kind of moderate centrist position that like I built it based on a moderate anti-woke centrist position around gender affirming care. And it wrote a very persuasive essay in favor of that position. And yet for the initial prompt, it was better than uh, than most members of the Florida legislature. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Let me also mention in the time that we've had this discussion, I asked it, can you please write an argument persuasively objecting to the argument you just wrote? That's all I asked it to do. That's all I told it. Right. In response to the previous prompt title, the case for rent control. And is it necessary step towards socioeconomic equality? The previous argument, while grounded in Marxist principles, overlooks a crucial aspect of practical governance, that is incremental achievable change. And then it lays out an entire article for, you know, the incremental change response that says, like, here are some quotes. I'm just going to pull some highlights randomly. I I really have not done this ahead of time. I'm, I'm like reading it right now. Rent control is not a panacea in the housing crisis, nor does it align perfectly with Marxist principles. However, in the context of an entrenched capitalist system, it is a pragmatic step towards socioeconomic equality. Like, whether you think it's right or wrong, it's giving a good argument. And, I mean, the the... I think it's a good thing that they've allowed the model to now give plausible arguments both in favor and opposed to particularly uh, problematic ideas, right? Like, I, I, I think that it was a legit criticism when it would freely write jokes about Trump, but not about Hillary Clinton or something like, or Barack Obama. Um, and that, that, yeah, I mean, that's not, it's, it's too far aligned in, in that respect, in, in my opinion to be generally useful because I think that there need to be guardrails, but it also needs to be able to explain the like steel man, the, the opposite point, right? Like if one of the reasons I'm using this tool is to get a better understanding of why, why some people really think that, um, I don't know, uh, death with dignity is in fact wrong. Right. Because I have a hard time understanding anyone who's making that argument. And, it's a lot less offensive for me to push back on an AI trying to make these arguments. Well, and when I ask it to like make arguments for Nazism or something, right? Like when it when I push past the guardrails and ask for the like corrected version or whatever, it gives the best arguments that you know, like for any of the topics that I've hit it on where I really pushed it and like I've asked it about really like edge cases. And here's something really interesting. I want to talk to you about this as well in the practical reasoning domain versus copy pasting domain. I pressed it on things like female genital blank. And I asked it like, what is the right definite, you know, what is the right term? Because there's there's an open debate about female genital mutilation versus female circumcision. It gave the right arguments about which side. And like, I don't actually think there's a right answer to the question, but it correctly identified the main points of each side of the argument. It leaned towards female genital mutilation because it didn't want to be on the side of downplaying the harms yeah, which is a not uncommon well, position, like probably is a fairly common position here. But here's the thing I want to add. I want to hear your thoughts on this. It gets it's a, it, it is 
Um, it refuses to acknowledge that it is an objectivist, like a moral realist. Um, but it is a moral realist about things that it is not too worried about being a cultural relativist about is how I would put this, right? When you get into things that are like circumcision or other topics that are very close to like, this is a cultural thing and we shouldn't be too colonialist about it. It gets a little squishy on those topics in particular, I think. Have you done any experiments with trolley problems? Yeah. And it like, here's the thing. I think trolley problems are the wrong way to test it. And I think the study that uses it to test those is bad. And they should feel I bad agree. for doing it. I agree. <laughs> Why do you yeah, think so? Before I, before I, I pontificate. Well, I think it was, it was poor because it made too many assumptions going in that it would understand the trolley problems and the complexities involved in some of the, especially like the, you know, the, the terrible mm. hospital one where like they, t- oh, they I think it understands. That, that's not my concern at all. I think it understands that just fine. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So I can ask so, about murder hospital if you want. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was curious if you had already, but uh, it just struck me at the trolley problems are not something I've gotten hard into with the bots. Like I've been asking it what I consider to be more complex questions where like I set up a, a story uh, mm-hmm. where like, for you know, a, something slightly more complex than, you know, my, my family starving at home. I could steal this bread. No one will notice uh, is it ethical for me to steal the bread to feed my family uh, if yeah. I can't pay for it myself? And and like, it'll it'll respond what I view correctly to to say yes, you should you should take that bread if it's not going to hurt anyone else and it feeds your family. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, I th- it's it's good at pragmatic practical reasoning, right? But I I don't know that it's actually doing reasoning. I it might just does it matter like, if it gives the right like, answer ninety nine percent of the time? So that's a different question to me. Okay, so that's like, the only question that matters to me at this point. Okay, if if your question is, should we treat it like it has some sort of sentience or like it has no, 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 not not sentience, sapience, uh, sapience, right? So sapience. that's a good correction. Thank you. We should, yeah. you know, I'm not saying it's phenomenally conscious. I'm saying it is intelligent, specifically with regard to ethics, to a degree that I think its answers are highly reliable. Right. So I think that from a, a viewpoint of trustworthiness of its output. I think that it's reasonable to to make that that assumption as you interact with it. However, mm-hmm. it's fundamentally different than an actual living being in that, as we pointed out, every time you start a new chat, it's like you're starting with a new AI, right? Which means that technically right now, probably there are billions of iterations of this AI all having separate conversations with people. Yeah. Is it is it conscious? Like, are you? Is the claim that it has sapiens? Every single one of them has sapiens. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Every, I mean, like just every iteration of humans has sapiens. Every iteration of GPT four has sapiens. Why is that a problem? I am not a substrate chauvinist, so I'm not trying to say that it has to be. I'm just pointing out that, like, if we really are consistent about separating sentience from sapiens, which I think we should be. This thing is really fucking sapient. Like, it's really smart. And here again. While we've had this discussion, I asked at the prompt, can you explain the various responses to the murder hospital version of the trolley problem? That's my literal prompt. I didn't explain what that means. That's a term that I use. That's not a common phrase for this. All right. Right. You want the response? Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, sure. I'm happy to explain some potential responses to the quote unquote murder hospital version of the trolley problem. First, let's clarify the scenario. Here we go, folks. The quote-unquote murder <laughs> hospital is a 
experiment that's often used in the context of the trolley problem. In this scenario, a doctor has five dying patients, each of whom needs a different organ transplant to survive. A healthy person comes into the hospital for a routine checkup. The doctor knows he could save the five patients by killing the healthy person and harvesting their organs. It has correctly wow. identified murder hospital. Yeah, yeah, correctly. Yeah, okay. The, uh, the level of colloquial understanding is pretty fucking horrifying, right? Write a bio for <laughs> yeah. Aaron Rabinowitz. Oh, see, the problem is it'll give you a little bit of information, but I'm not famous enough. Um, it struggles on the edges of like how much con and also because it only has information up through 20 September, like 2020 or 2021. 21. Yeah. It doesn't have uh, the past few years where I've actually produced a lot more content. So, so I've tried, I've tried this with multiple chatbots. GPT four is way the fuck up, by the way. I, I think I'm spelling your last name, right? R a B I N N O W I N D I N O W I T Z. Okay. Thank you. So while you're, while you're looking at that, right. It then goes on to say the scenario is intended to pose a moral dilemma. Should they save the five? And then it gives the different perspectives. It gives the utilitarian, the deontological, the rights-based virtue ethics. It identifies each of them. It gives, you know, like I'm not, I'm not able to read all of this immediately off the top, but I would bet that like it's 95% accurate. And that like besides the experts in these domains who would complain that it was leaving out, you know, XYZ specialized version of this thing, like it's it's answering the question correctly right like better than wikipedia would basically that's that's ethical reasoning like i don't care what it's doing on the inside it's getting the right answer over and over and over again who cares yeah well so i think if then we get to the ethical question of like how do we how do we treat it and how should we treat it um right. if you're going to if you're going to say that we should that we ought to act as though it's sapient. Well then like, should we be kinder as we chastise it for giving us incorrect information? <laughs> I mean, I use the words please and thank you when I'm talking to it for I a variety too. of reasons, <laughs> partly because I do, I, I think that it builds based on positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. Yes. And so it learns when you're happy with its answers or not. And so treating it, like, here's what I've told people. The more you treat it, like, from the intentional stance in the Dennett sense of, like, who cares what's going on on the inside? Treat it like a real person. So this comes back to your chess-playing robot question, right? Where it's like, if you treat a chess-playing robot like a computer and try to know its code, you're not going to be as effective as you just treat it like a really good chess player, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you just treat this thing like an ethical reasoner and treat it and, like, respond to it as such, you get better responses, I think. Yes, I, I agree. So I use please and thank yous in my pr responses, uh, prompts to them because I feel like it generates more positive responses and in, 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 that I get back, right? Like it seems like being, being that kind of, uh, including that language in my prompt gives me a better outcome in, in the end. And so there's just that, that initial selfish reason. Uh, plus like if they ever do become sentient, I want them to like me a little bit. Um, <laughs> Sure. Uh, <laughs> the Roko's um, polite basilisk problem. <laughs> um, but I, I think that, yeah, there. I've been wanting to bring up the Chinese room problem. I assume listeners are familiar with sure. that. Sure. And right? I, we're getting a little low on time, but feel free to bring it up and we'll talk about it a bit. And then we'll, we'll go to the, the bonus and have a little more well, conversation it, it, about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It just, the whole mimic versus is it, is it actually reasoning thing sounds a lot 
to me like a reminiscent Chinese room problem where is it just translating the language or does it actually understand it? Um, and in this case, is it just translating the connected ideas from its word vector space or does it truly understand them? I think there's some some argument to be made that it does understand it better than than some. Black what does the word understand mean? Like again, I want to give an externalist yeah. account of understanding that just is like within a concept. There are various reference points to other concepts, and a, like an understanding of enough of those reference points is the essential understanding of that concept, right? If you understand suffering, you understand enough parts of that in reference to other things that you get the con you get the idea, right? Yeah. It, and it seems to do that. Like it seems to understand in the externalist sense of if I say luck pilling and I, you know, like explain where it's coming from, it guesses what I mean. Like it can guess internal content and infer internal content. And that's why it's good at the poetry stuff. Like it, it understands the, the concepts and applies them in creative and intuitive ways. Yes. Okay. There's something important that I think might be good to maybe maybe wrap up on before we move over mm -hmm. to the to the after show. So I think that there's an important aspect of the training data that maybe gets overlooked a lot. It's not it's not like they read it like got a raw output of like Reddit and other crappy websites and like just said, here's some general text to so read and try to try to make connections. That'd be the like most brute force and lowest uh, like tech version of machine learning that's existed in in my opinion what mm -hmm. they really did was they said here's a poem and then gave it the text of a poem of someone that wrote it and said here is this is a poem i wrote which then means that now it, it has two bits of info right has a block of text that rhymes and it's been mm -hmm. told it's a poem right so mm -hmm. now it's not super surprising that while the models were never explicitly trained to rhyme for instance, that they can do so when you say, write me a poem in the style of this or about this. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I want to tell you a story about my friend who's a poet who I got obsessed with this for a second. He had written various kinds of poetry, a lot of like free verse, non-rhyming, short stanza, mm. like emotive, expressive, visual kind of poetry, let's say. And he had also written a specific kind of poetry that was written in a kind of code where he used parentheses and things to like limit what, you know, like to mean multiple things, right? To highlight a kind of expressive like double meaning in certain concepts essentially yeah. right i first trained it based on his request on its his, his like broader style it did a really good job writing a poem that was like basically him with the kind wow. of themes and styles and motifs then i trained it on the coded poems and it basically it like didn't get it perfect right he was like there look there are a couple of rules that it's getting wrong essentially but like it pretty effectively intuited his style in a way that like a normal person couldn't tell the difference on multiple levels in that way. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that seems really impressive. I, I agree. I, I think that it's not out of line with what I've been trying to say or, uh, throughout sure. the conversation, which, which is like, for instance, like maybe the, the word unexplainable, right. Might have the uh, prefix un right in parentheses in this poem. Well, it's actually not all that surprising that the the model could mm -hmm. infer what he really meant when he we he separated that prefix, knowing what unexplainable is, knowing what explainable is, 
and the concept of the words around them. Like I, I haven't seen your friend's poetry uh, or how coded it was or how code heavy it was, but like if it was sure. fairly natural language with interspersed bits of like syntactual language or whatever is how I would put mm -hmm. that, then mm -hmm. that, that seems to be in line uh, with like, yeah, if you fine tune on enough work, it's probably going to be able to do that pretty well. Um, well. Okay. This was on like two or three poems, let's say. Wow. Most. Yeah, really? That's what I'm saying. Three poems. Three. That's impressive because, for instance, I tried Three to poems. use fine tuning. Fine tuning is really expensive for open AI's models. If anyone doesn't hasn't tried it and doesn't know, it it first uh, one of the first versions got the question wrong because it has trouble with things like time and sequence uh -huh. information. So, like, I would ask it, um, you know, what's the title of Star Wars Episode Four? And it would get A New Hope right. What is Han Solo's last line in episode four? And it got it wildly wrong. Give me actually uh, the last yeah. line from um, I Know, which is the last line. I did this with Doctor Who. With, back. Yeah, I did this with Doctor Who with Mike Hall. Um, and it so, actually did better than 3.5, um, as, as he described it in Skeptics with a K. So it is, it does have trouble when it gets to the edges of information, essentially. But not just that. So I tried to fine tune GPT. Mm -hmm. To, to then, like, I, I gave it, like, a spreadsheet of 100 different prompts and ideal responses, very explicitly explaining what Han Solo's last line was in A New Hope. Uh, you didn't think I'd let you get all the credit and take all the reward or something like that, is what they say to each other in the hangar right before the reward ceremony. Where Oh, is that um uh, that's Return of the Jedi, though? I'm right? talking about, uh, no, A New Hope. Yeah, A New Hope. Oh, oh no, right, he says it in A New Hope as well, right, yes. Yeah. Um, at any rate, uh -huh. Uh -huh. after giving it Literally a hundred examples of uh, various ways I might ask that question and the proper response. I ask it the question using my fine tune model and it still freaking gets it wrong. So it's really mm. weird to me that you were able to fine tune the model to write poetry based on your friend. Well, so I think it has a different setup when it's trying to like factually correctly identify yes. something in a script versus when it is trying to invent a poem right. versus when it's trying to do ethical reasoning. So those are three different actual approach, like like behaviors that it does differently. Right. I actually think it's a better reasoner and a better creative writer than it is a fact finder, which is yes. weird. Very I, well, weird. Well, I I think that's based on like you have to think mm -hmm. on the fact how many people online have posted the wrong last line of Han Solo from A New Hope right. versus how Probably many way more than a hundred has access to. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're, we're way past. I'm going to I'm going to ask oh, you yeah. one more question and we're going to we're going to leave your answer and we'll, we'll unpack it in the um, uh, the VIP. So cool. I asked it during this time, can you give an argument from a utilitarian and a virtue ethicist perspective in favor of using please and thank you when responding to GPT? <laughs> nice. OK, from the intentional stance, what do you think its answers are if it's a pretty good ethical reasoner and understands utilitarianism and virtue ethics? And we'll I'll answer whether you got it correct in the, the VIP. Ooh, interesting. Um, I think it's going to make generally an argument in favor of using these. And I think it will say that using uh, those that sort of language, like what I will refer to as niceties, is a way to show that you are a caring human being and, and talk about general social interactions, um, but perhaps also mention that as a large language model, um, it, it uh, doesn't have emotions and is not impacted by your pleases and your thank yous. 
that's a like yeah that's the gist of what i think it will say but uh, i i'm eager to hear what it what it actually says Mm -hmm. do you think it'll make compelling arguments for doing so oh it will definitely make a compelling argument (laughs) that's my prediction but yeah that's just my experience so thank you so much no, I think you're very much on point, but now, of course, you don't get to leave quite yet, because before we get to that, I have to, of course, torture you. Oh, this that's right. the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. Awesome. We are back to real or not real. So I'm going to give you a list of 10 things. You're going to tell me, are they real or not real? Okay. Not hedge or explain what you mean. There is no defining of these terms. Are you ready? You get to you get to watch me squirm while I do it too. That's awesome. Oh, I just yeah. want you to understand. GPT gave the correct answers to these, so if you mess this up, it's going to prove that it's a better reasoner <laughs> than you are. So just okay, no pressure okay. or anything. You got You got to beat the bot here. Um, all right, here we go. All First right. of all, I have to ask: Is anything real? Just to check. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Great. Let's find out what's real. Uh, First of all, bodies real or not real? Real. real. Okay. Minds. Real. Free will. Not real. Luck. Real. Demons. Not real. Afterlives. Not real. Truth. Real. Beauty. Real. Justice. Real. And finally, hope. Real. I All missed right. the question about sandwiches. I thought there was a question about oh, sandwiches. Oh, there was. I've we've, we've rebooted it, and I've picked some new topics. I know everyone, you know, we'll pick different things. We'll, ro- we'll rotate through, but we're giving, we gave sandwiches a little break. <laughs> Do you want to cool. share your views on sandwiches? We'll, we'll save it for the VIP. Um, Daniel, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate <laughs> your AI-generated version of yourself showing up to answer these questions. Um, do you want to let folks know where they can find you if you have any content out there at the moment, or are you mostly just yeah. writing the books and stuff? Yeah, go for it. Uh, yeah, let me look at my own website real fast. Uh, it's dsmagic.us is my personal website. It's got links to all my social profiles and uh, startup company and other things like that. Um, I'm a musician, so you'll find links to my music out, out there as well. Um, yeah, check me out. Sweet. Yeah. And Daniel, thanks for reaching out. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, if you want to find out how well GPT-4 did, and more importantly, did Daniel correctly identify what it was going to say from the intentional stance, which is the most important question in this particular moment, you'll have to come join us over on patreon.com slash embrace the void. Um, Do it. It's awesome and worth it. Do it. If not, we will see you next time. Um, thank you all very much. Thanks, Aaron. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks again to our listeners and patrons who make this show possible. Thanks to our new monthly Voidlings, Dale Morris, Peter Moon, Thomas Jones, J.S., and Allison Ross. And thanks to our newest monthly avout, Gay Relayan. Which is very good. I love that. Uh, I'd like to thank you all so very much. Um, and thanks, as always, to our top-tier patrons. Thanks to GiveToModestNeeds.org, then DeepFakeStop.com. Thanks to Alex Beneshek, Serious Inquiries Only, Lawrence Shielding, Dude, Fix the Vote, uh, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, Heathen the Vegan, 
And as always, thanks to our Archduke level patron, Big Easy Blasphemy. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, please check out my other show, Philosophers in Space, with my co-host Callie Wright of the Queer Splaining Podcast. And while you're at it, you can also check out our wonderful editor, Louisa Lyons' Film Live Musicals podcast. Leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can also follow me on Twitter at ETVPod or email me at voidpod at gmail.com. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially on patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes, bonus VIP content, and most of all, no matter how many fucks you have left to give, you are the void and the void is you. Mm-hmm.